Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wi-Fi Now in association with RCR Wireless News. My name is Klaus Henning. We're going to start the show in just a second with some great guests. Join us. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. All right, thank you for joining us. My name is Klaus Hetting, and I'm absolutely delighted to be the host of this new uh, TV show, weekly TV show. It's called Wi-Fi Now. As you know, it's going to be happening every week, uh, same time, same place on RCR Wireless News. Now, today we're going to talk, talk about uh, city Wi-Fi networks. We've got a couple of great guests. The first one I'm going to be speaking to is William Buddy and his partner, by the way, he's just joined us, of Wildfire 5G. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you doing? Awesome. We're going to get to them in just a second. And after that, I'm going to be interviewing what some people say is a legend in uh, in carrying your Wi-Fi, Mr. Steve Ratko from Ruckus Wireless. He's heading up. Uh, he's the director of Carrier Wi-Fi Marketing at Ruckus. We're going to talk to Steve a little bit later. Ruckus just posted fantastic results for second quarter. I'm going to ask him a little bit about that and a lot of other questions uh, for him also coming up. All right, a couple of the things that I picked up on in the last couple of news that uh, I like, that I'd like to comment on. First thing is uh, Microsoft. So Microsoft will be launching their Wi-Fi service, and it's supposed to be working with uh, Windows 10. Windows 10 was, of course, uh, launched uh, last week, and Microsoft Wi-Fi is a part of that. Now, the website is still, can you show the next uh, slide, Wilson, please? Uh, their website is, uh, still not up and running, but this is what we know about it. Microsoft says they're going to hook people up to two to 10 million Wi-Fi hotspots and that aggregated network we'd like to know, of course, where does that come from? That's the question as an analyst I typically ask. It looks like iPass is going to be involved in that. Uh, Boeing, of course, already involved in uh, on the Skype side. The Skype side is going to be renamed Skype for Business. We're going to be following all of that because what I think is the uh, interesting implication of this, we're going to ask William about that after, is that it opens up for the for an opportunity uh, for these big internet companies uh, to package access with uh, their content with their services, and it's an opportunity for some of the uh, uh, Wi-Fi service aggregators and companies like uh, Wi-Fi 5G perhaps uh, to uh, get involved in a cash flow and a monetization method that 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 is still to come, but we expect it uh, to be happening. Now uh, it. Next thing I picked up on over the past couple of years is Wi-Fi Aware. It's a certification program uh, just introduced by the Wi-Fi Alliance. Now, uh, the Wi-Fi Aware is designed as a proximity service, but Wi-Fi Alliance says it's a, if you like, a long-range proximity service. You'll actually reach, uh, have a reach of several football fields, according to Edgar Figueroa, of CEO of Wi-Fi Alliance. Now, I find uh, I'm going to ask these guys about this as well, what they think about it. Now, what I like about it is, first of all, the long range, but it also opens up for a number of other uh, opportunities we'll be watching as that evolves. But the first thing I'm thinking is, if Wi-Fi Aware allows uh, the um, proactive announcement of uh, available Wi-Fi hotspots, that could turn out to be a third way, perhaps, of having users uh, connect to Wi-Fi networks out there. The first two being looking up your SSID and the other one being Hotspot 2.0, uh, which is the seamless access. So we've been following that. And if Wi-Fi lines folks are out there, we'd like to have you come on the show and explain us more about that. 
All right, guys, uh, I am uh, delighted to introduce the uh, first uh, guest of this program, and or two guests, I should say. Uh, my two guests are uh, William Bunny and Jimmy. I think I may have lost them. Do I have them there? No, there they are. Okay, very good. Hi, guys. Hey. And these guys are running the uh, Wildfire 5G uh, uh, company. And uh, William, you're coming to us, uh, and, uh, and Jimmy, right? Yes. Jimmy, yeah. Coming to us directly from Dalton, Georgia, where you're actually doing this transmission on your Wi-Fi network. Can you guys tell us a little bit about what you're doing and also why you got involved in this in, in the first place, really? What gave you the idea to get involved in this? Well, um, I was finishing up an LTE network for a carrier, and my friend and partner was uh, doing fiber throughout the United States. With our combined years of experience and uh, know-how, we uh, looked at being able to make a better network. Uh, with the technology advances in 802.11ac, uh, we saw that this is our opportunity to create that new network and to allow for us to be a complementary service to cellular. We're not looking to take on cellular carriers or anything like that. We just want to add on to create a better user experience at the end. Okay. Uh, thank you, Paul, for having us today. Um, I come from the fiber optic side. Uh, Will has the the wireless side, and, and uh, we, we build fiber optic networks for outside plant uh, deployments, uh, one being Dalton Utilities. And uh, they they deployed a fiber citywide fiber network and have uh, fiber customers and, and uh, we thought that this joint effort uh, made great sense to, to deploy some of the fastest wireless capabilities out there through 802.11ac. I think uh, the uh, you know, for being a wired guy, we were kind of skeptics to be frank, and, and uh, we've certainly been enlightened uh, because we were building wired networks, not wireless networks. And uh, Dalton uh, signed a pilot agreement with us. Uh, we knew them from the from building their fiber network and they were absolutely willing and have been a great partner to try this idea out and uh done you know done very well and we're only six months in great stuff can you guys, can you guys share a little bit of information on how you've built the network uh some of the numbers there and the kind of performance you're getting because i know william we've spoken before and you've always impressed me with the, the kind of performance you're getting even indoors yeah, so so give you a little background. Dalton, you, Dalton City in Georgia is about nine square miles, but it's about four square miles of dense area. And so, so what we did with our design was we looked at how can we cover the dense areas. So right now we're about 85% penetration in dense areas throughout Dalton and growing. We continue to grow, bring on different services, different clients. Um, we built that network utilizing uh, Ruckus 802.11ac uh, T300APs. Um, we set out to create a network that would provide an average speed of 50 megabits per second to the end users, being their devices, being tablets, computers, laptops, or cell phones. Um, we did that because uh, Cities like this, cities that are minimal, minimum, uh, middle-sized cities, 
have it where you know they have very poor cellular coverage. Uh, average speeds on cellular phones are about nine megabits. Dalton was very unique because it has a, uh, a fiber network and fiber to the home, OptiLink, which we partnered up with. But we wanted to find out how can we actually really uh, monetize the network. So we worked together with them, created a great relationship. The other thing that was really key to us is that we all used all sectorized antennas. So unlike other Wi-Fi cities, they utilize Omni antennas. We utilize sectorized antennas, which gave us a, more of a cellular feel on a Wi-Fi design. It allowed for greater in-building in penetration as well as distance that we're getting from uh, these uh, kind of cell areas that we've created. We so a couple of things, yeah, a couple of things, William, you're actually getting in-building penetration into the residential zones, if you like, right? Correct. And, and, and this, I mean, you know, you, you, you would typically say, and maybe Stephen comment on this after, that, that that's that's not what you get with the Wi-Fi network, but you're obviously getting that. Can you share some of the numbers there? Yeah, so again, our design is to, for in-building is uh, 50 megabits per second. Now we may get 48. Uh, we just tested out uh, Panera Bread, we ate breakfast there, and uh, we were getting 48 megabits per second. So we were told, and people are very skeptical about an out-to-in design, um, but considering the technology that we have available to us today and uh, utilizing sectorized antennas gives us a higher gain, higher gain, better penetration, and uh, better throughput. So that's kind of how we did it. And, and in terms of the user experience, what's the user going to experience the first time he goes on your network? Obviously, he has to find the SSID for the for the first time he goes on. And then there's a logon processor. How does all of that work? Yeah, so the, the user experience is pretty, pretty simple. You know, they scan the network for wildfire 5G. Once they find it, they sign on to it. That sign on automatically brings you to a portal where the user has a choice of 16, uh, six different plans to choose from. So, uh, and, and our goal again was not to compete with cellular, but was to augment it. So, you know, with nine megabits compared to 50, we just wanted to make sure that the user experience was faster. Um, one of the things that we primarily do and we just launched recently was a unlimited streaming Netflix. So Netflix very popular with the younger generation. And so we wanted to make it so that they had greater access to it and, and better throughput without load ups. Right. And uh, so, so what's your view on monetization? And I know everybody in the Wi-Fi industry is, is trying to crack this, including myself and a lot of other folks. And uh, one of the reasons why I mentioned Microsoft in the beginning was that there, there could be an opportunity in the making, not just with a company like Microsoft, but possibly Companies like Amazon, Amazon, of course, have been doing it in, in a different way for a long time. Uh, and uh, and Netflix could be another example. Now, I know you're offering unlimited streaming. But um, what's your view on that? Do you think there's a real chance for networks like yours to get into that cash flow, so to speak, to offer a, you know, a partnership to, to companies like that and, and, and take a little chunk of the revenue? Well, I, absolutely. I mean, when we went into this, we knew that there's a lot of skeptics against uh, being able to monetize a Wi-Fi network. We saw what happened in Spain. 
and uh, we, we see what's happening all over the world. And, and the Google model, of course, is very unique. I mean, you really need to have a, a, a huge user base to utilize an advertising-based system. What we found out through this is really, you know, we have four main revenue streams. Um, the first is B2C. So, and, and that takes a little bit of work. There's some challenges and we'll talk about that later. The, the real one is B2B, B2B um, which is our enterprise services and stuff like that. Uh, given that companies are, are trying to be more efficient, trying to have it where their, their employees are out there more mobile and stuff, this gives them an opportunity to, to utilize that kind of network. The other final thing is, is that you know, they, they want to link facilities nowadays, and it's kind of difficult. I mean, microwaves, difficult frequencies are taken up. So in turns, uh, this gives them an opportunity to link their warehouses or shipping areas together. Um, cellular offload, of course, is a, a way we're going to go. We're talking with the carrier currently. Uh, the issue is the HOT 2.0 and the NOx are not really ready yet. You know, they're still testing them out. Um, with the exception of one or two carriers, they kind of got it, but it's not working quite well. Um, and then finally, we kind of have a secret sauce that we're working on right now, uh, which we'll announce uh, in the coming months. Uh, we really think that this is the game changer for this. Um, so we'll talk about that later on, a, definitely on a follow-up show with you. All right, great. We want to get you back. I, I've told you before, you're the great white hope of the city Wi-Fi industry. <laughs> you guys are. And you're doing great work. Uh, can you uh, can you tell us? So, so you're mostly working with B 2 E and and a little bit less uh, towards consumers. So what is your uh, what is your um, can you share some of your pricing plans perhaps? And so what what is your pitch? Are you pitching it based on price or performance? Because presumably the performance is uh, is better than than cellular in the area where you're operating, right? Yeah, so as, as we talked before the show, you know, we're at a park, you know, in Dalton, and we're doing 164 megabits per second download and 157 upload. That's quite competitive to uh, uh, cellular. But um, the offers are quite simple. You know, we want to offer a good product and a good price. So we have five gigs for five bucks. Um, we have uh, 10, 12 gigs for 10. And then uh, if you want to have five gigs plus unlimited streaming Netflix, it's $10 and $15 for the next plan for uh, 12 gigs and unlimited streaming Netflix. So, you know, about a buck a gig is where we feel is the, the right price for the consumer market. Now, as far as the enterprise, of course, you know, they're, they're you're looking at mainly unlimited. So each time we, we bring on an enterprise service, it's a, it's a standardized, actually a customized product so okay so so how are the consumers and businesses respectively reacting to that are you uh you're obviously approaching that a lot of businesses directly i assume and you also mentioned that you have uh, to me earlier that you have a partnership happening with uh some schools is that correct yeah so it's it, we've had a really good turnout here in dalton so uh one of the schools that we're have as a client is a Christian Heritage School. It's a private Christian school in Dalton. Um, campus is gorgeous. Uh, we built the system inside 
the school. They have an average speed of about 181 megabits per second compared to their previous uh, network, which was two megabits per second. Uh, but what's going to be unique is, is that the uh, school network will not stop at the uh, campus alone. We go beyond it. So there'll be a hidden SSID throughout the city where the students' devices can connect and they'll be able to do their homework. I'm sure a lot of students are going to hate both Jimmy and I later on. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's how we're doing that. So in businesses, of course, we're, all, we're building newer and newer uh, uh, streams of revenue as far as asset management and uh, device tracking and security is starting to come up on that. Yeah. So, right. So, William and Jimmy, tell me, how do you, uh, how are you planning this going forward? Because I know you guys, at least I know from William, that you guys have big plans going forward. I mean, if you look at Dalton now, I don't know if the guys can, can put up a picture of Dalton. There's one there in the asset folder, but uh, maybe Wilson can, but it's a fairly typical um, smallish city in the southeastern United States. I think the population is 50,000, if I remember correctly, right? And there's a lot of cities like that uh, around. And uh, so one would think that, you know, if it works in Dalton and you guys have a you know, good business model working for you there, then there's a lot of expansion opportunities uh, you know, for the taking there. Uh, can you share some of your plans uh, with us? Certainly, I, I, yeah, I'll be happy to. So, um, so when we joined forces, you know, we have been building fiber networks as a separate company uh, for 20 years. And um, you know, so we've built close to uh, about 40 cities worth of fiber network across the country. And uh, these cities are perfect candidates, just like Dalton, uh, for these networks that are, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the major infrastructure is already placed. Uh, secondly, we, uh, the, the big advantage that we're bringing to the table is that uh, we're not out there to compete against a, uh, a, a local utility or a local incumbent. Um, most of the fiber networks uh, that are out there that would work well in our model uh, already are on poles, so there's no leasing agreements that you have to do. There's no uh, hurdles like that you need to jump because you've got access to deploy your network. Um, so we're, we're looking at a, a number of cities uh, across the U.S. To, to take this on the road, so to speak. Um, and, and they're not major cities. What we found is that, you know, if we wanted to go build, say, a Chicago, uh, that infrastructure, A, is not there, and B, would cost a tremendous amount of money to make it, you know, it's just not economical. Um, but if you go to cities, uh, kind of mid-tier cities like Dalton and uh, Chattanooga, kind of these smaller towns that are uh, that have these this infrastructure already there, uh, it's it's a win-win because we partner with the utility uh, rather than trying to go out and gain access on our own. Uh, it's it's been a huge win-win. So um, we're very eager to, to take it on the road and make this you know, a kind of a new norm, so to speak, across the country. Great. So, I mean, I, I would think for other fiber companies out there, uh, it's a replicable model. Are you not seeing any competition yet where you are, or are you watching that very carefully? 
Well, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, we certainly are watching it uh, carefully, but the, the big difference uh, is that from our perspective, we've, we've got the access uh, to be able to get these agreements with uh, the utilities. Uh, you know, most folks uh, can't just walk into a door and say, all right, I'm here. I want to do this on your network. Just give it to me. It, it just doesn't work like that. And so um, because of our prior experiences with other cities and, and uh, seeing you know, that this works in Dalton as a pilot, for example, um, it, it gives these other cities a lot more confidence that, hey, Wildfire 5G is, is good to work with and we may, you know, we will both come out winners in that deal. Um, that's that's going to be the differentiator uh, in ours. Right. Do you have any named cities that you want to tell us about on this show or would you rather keep that for yourself? I'd to, but I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, giving away too much of the secret sauce. <laughs> Early, so. All right, guys. I'm, I'm sure you'll start to see announcements from us on cities that we bring on board. Um, the other thing is, again, you know, we're not just looking at leasing pools. We're making relationships. We're, we're here to build a good company, a good product, and, and provide a good service to the community. Yeah. So you guys want to comment on the offload opportunity because, you know, for a guy like me who's been trying to get offload off the ground. It's not that it doesn't exist, it does exist, but there's a lot of carriers that don't like the idea. And uh, and then some are starting to come around. How do you how do you assess that market right now? I mean, it's a smaller, it's not a major, uh, obviously market in the United States that you're covering. So maybe the resistance to doing an offload in a city like Dalton is a bit less, or how do you see that? No, actually we see it as more. So- Really? Uh, if, if you looked at Dalton in general and you do the, uh, you check the cellular service here out in Dalton, um, you'll see three out of the four carriers have substandard service. So, you know, when we can walk into one of the carriers, uh, 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 retail, retail shops, shops thanks, retail yeah. shops, and uh, have it where they're producing about a meg on their LTE network, just simply because of the density coverage and, and vegetation. And we're producing 68 megabits per second inside their retail shop. It really, there's a great opportunity here, so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to have you guys on the show. Uh, I was hoping you were gonna, gonna comment a little bit more on the business models because that's what uh, people like myself and a ton of other people are waiting to happen to get, um, Get a piece of the uh, get a piece of the revenue stream from perhaps some of the big internet companies, but uh, I want you guys to come back on the show uh, as soon as you have more information for us and keep us updated. Uh, Will and Jimmy, is there anything else you'd like to add? This is your chance. No, let's let's just say hi to our uh, our part of our advertisement teams there. They're oh yes, <laughs> hello everybody. <laughs> so we uh, we make sure we have pretty people on our company. So. Fantastic. Great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show and keep us posted on what you're doing. Thank Thanks you, for Thank you, Bob. All right. My next guest, Steve Ratko, is director of carrier Wi-Fi marketing at Ruckus Wireless. And Steve, I just want to uh, quote from your press release. Uh, I think it was, was it this week or last week? I forget, but this is the Q2 results from uh, from Baraka's revenue up close to 14%. Uh, you added 12 new service provider customers, and I'm sure you were very much involved in that. You exceeded expectations, and the stock jumped something like 6% on the day. Uh, fantastic results for you, Steve, and Ruckus Wireless. 
Tell us what your secret sauce is right now that in that you're doing so well. Well, we, we definitely have a very strong focus on the Wi-Fi market. It's pretty much all we do. Ruckus is a pure play there. And uh, we've been making great strides on the carrier side and carrier is roughly a third of our business. And the other two thirds of the business, generally speaking, comes from enterprises, public venues, and venues include things like hotels, K through 12, um, hospitality, um, MDUs, et cetera. So doing very, very well on the enterprise side and also doing well on the carrier side in all geographies, really. We're seeing a great interest from carriers, uh, be they MNOs, MSOs, wireless ISPs, great interest in, in Wi-Fi technology. And, and have we, we don't call right. it Wi-Fi offload. It seems to be better to call it Wi-Fi augmentation. All right. I like to call it mobile Wi-Fi convergence because I don't like the offload word anymore. And it upsets <laughs> a lot of people as well. But anyway, that's a different story. So uh, can you say something about uh, your view on on what uh, the gentleman down in Dalton or Wi-Fi 5G is doing? Do you see that as a, as a viable model? Obviously, these guys are excited about it. They're doing very well. Uh, as a complement, as a... Uh, maybe to some extent a competitor to cellular. What's your view on that, Steve? Well, we don't, um, you know, we don't see Wi-Fi necessarily as a competitor to cellular. Uh, cellular really excels at wide area connectivity, high mobility connectivity, and usually a, a lot of real-time um, connectivity. And uh, Wi-Fi really is for high capacity density applications with low mobility. Uh, so to a large extent, as I said, they complement each other. One is very much an indoor technology. Wi-Fi is Typically, 90% of access points go indoors, whereas cellular is almost exclusively outdoors um, in terms of where base stations get deployed. So they complement each other very well. And I think one of the interesting issues for the industry going forward is how are they going to converge? You know, they both are incredibly successful. They both do different things. Clearly, there's value in convergence. And that's one of those things that the industry has been talking about extensively over the course of, uh, of the last couple of years. And we'll probably continue to talk about it going forward. Well, right, exactly. The conversion question is an enormous one. I think that's the billion dollar question out there. And uh, we've been through, I think, many different options over the years, including, uh, you know, converged core networks, for example, that actually already exist, at least on paper, and some cooperatives are using it. And we're also looking at device client technology that's trying to do the same. How do you think these things are going to converge? There's also, by the way, a third option uh, called... Uh, LTE Wi-Fi aggregation, which is, seems maybe to have some traction, I'm not sure. Uh, how do you look at all these various options, Steve? Well, there, there have been two different approaches, really, that, to how these technologies may converge. And before it's all over, we may see a third one. Uh, but a lot of the early work started out with what I call convergence in the core. And that really looked at taking Wi-Fi traffic and tunneling it back into the mobile packet core in much the same way you take traffic over a cellular network and bring it back into the packet core. And this all started out with the IW LAN work in, in 2006, and then they went to something called SA Mog around 2011, 2012. But those approaches really said, you know, we'll take the cellular traffic and the Wi-Fi traffic, we'll bring it back into the mobile core, and we'll provide services there. You know, they're both great radio access technologies. The user shouldn't really care what network they're on. Let's just make the services consistent. So that was where we started. But in the last couple of years, we've been seeing a major move to convergence in the RAN. And this started, in fact, uh, there have now been four different permutations for how this might occur. All of them, courtesy of our friends at Qualcomm, and I think Qualcomm's been doing an amazing marketing job in this regard. But it all started with something called LTEU, 
with LTEU, it wasn't so much convergence as it was taking LTE traffic and running it directly over the unlicensed bands, specifically the Uni 1 and Uni 3 bands up at 5 gig. And so this, this idea came out of Qualcomm about 18 months ago, very intriguing. It's since been picked up by 3GPP, and they're trying to look at whether they can standardize this in some fashion. It is easily the most controversial subject I've seen in wireless in, in all the years that I've been in it. There have been um, very strong opinions voiced on both sides of the discussion about whether or not LTE should be running in the unlicensed band, and if so, how should it do it? Um, you know, Ruckus, by and large, is of the opinion that as long as, as long as any technology that uses the unlicensed band does listen before talk, then go, go for it. And they should be able to run whatever they want there. Uh, so that's a big debate going on right now in 3GPP is, is if you run LTE in the unlicensed band, what does listen before talk look like? So uh, as I said, a lot of animated discussions there. We hope to hear more um, from 3GPP probably in the spring. This will probably come out in release 13. And then as you mentioned, Klaus, there's um, LTE plus Wi-Fi link aggregation, which is also came out of Qualcomm. And a very interesting approach here because rather than running LTE directly on unlicensed band, they're gonna do something um, similar to multi-link TCP in which the device will take the data stream and split it, send some of it over LTE and some of it over straight Wi-Fi. Once it gets back into the network, the Wi-Fi traffic is brought back to the E node B. Con you know, they're kind of combined at the E node B. So there's convergence in the RAN and from there it goes into the core. And uh, so those are some of the ideas. There's even uh, some, talk afoot about trying to run LTE completely on the unlicensed band, um, which is a, a radical departure from the way LTE works. Another, it's another Qualcomm invention, by the way. Yes, they, they've yeah, been so, very so, active. Yeah, so Qualcomm is really pushing this story. But how do you think this is going to play out? Because, uh, by the way, I, I'm all over the LTEU story, as you know. I'm following it very much. And just today, the FCC commented that they wanted, I think it was today, they wanted more information uh, because, uh, well, they're undecided on obviously what to do. Uh, what, what is your position on that? Do you think it's going to go through? And, and, and the second question is, there's some very, very aggressive timelines being uh, suggested by uh, Qualcomm. And I think also, and I think Verizon as well, about this happening, being deployed uh, next year. I mean, if this technology is going to go into, first of all, devices, of course, but also networks and so forth, They've got a lot of work ahead of them, and they also got to get past the FCC. Uh, so, you know, is this realistic, you think? Well, there's a, a lot of issues here, Klaus. Um, you know, a lot of it starts with listen before talk. That's actually mandated by regulation in the European Union. So yes. you're okay in Denmark. <laughs> uh, in the U.S., there is no stipulation that you run listen before talk. There's a spectral mask. You must follow it, and other than that, you can do whatever you want. So there's no, you know, different jurisdictions have different rules about what you can do in the unlicensed bands. Um, there's been a lot of talk and certainly the FCC has been taking a closer look at what's happening there. As a rule, they don't like to get into any technology specifics when, when, they, um, you know, when, they, you know, when they look at uh, how spectrum should be handled. But obviously there's concern that, um, that LTE play well with Wi-Fi, And I think that's in everyone's best interest. One of the points I, I always make when I, I talk about this is that oftentimes one of the most important constituents here is not, has not been heard from. And that is um, LTEU and, and L license assisted access, which is what 3GPP will call LTEU when they come out with it. They're small cell technologies. They're not Wi-Fi technologies. And um, one of the issues you're gonna have is as you start deploying small cells indoors, 
this could start to become an issue. Uh, for most venues, and, and uh, certainly William can attest to this, Wi-Fi is strategic most, for most venues, most businesses. So to the extent that a small cell is deployed in that venue or that business, if it were to use the unlicensed band, you know, that, that, might not, that might not sit well with the venue. And the venue at the end of the day decides what gets installed in their building. So there's a concern on our part that if, if it's not listened before talk, you could have a lot of trouble trying to get something deployed in a venue. The venue will just push back on it. Uh, they wouldn't want anything deployed that upset the Wi-Fi service they're providing. Well, that's a very good point. And, and you know, the, the business case issues of which I think there are some as far as small cell deployment is concerned for carriers remains regardless of its LTEU uh, or regular LTE, right? And, and so they're still faced with that challenge. Is that not correct? Yeah, you know, it's one of those issues I think the industry is really starting to come around with um, with regard to small cells because, you know, the possibility of running LTEU in a, a shall we say, a non-listen before a talk manner would, might inhibit the deployment of small cells. But uh, small cells is a very interesting market from our perspective, but um, the key problem with them is, is typically when, in, when deploying anything indoors, it's usually best if it's neutral host. Typically, a business or a venue would want a network that anyone can access that goes enters their building. And DAS distributed antenna systems do that in cellular. So when you're in an airport or a convention center and you're getting really good uh, service, it's usually coming from DAS. Or when your cell phone works while you're you know, in the BART tube under the bay, that's because there's a DAS system there. And then Wi-Fi also is a great neutral host solution. One of the challenges with small cells, how do you neutral host them? And that isn't and that's one of those things the industry is starting to, to wrestle with right now, how best to neutral host it, because that's going to be key really to getting venues to allow it to be deployed. Yes, right. So Steve, let's, let's talk about the business case a little bit, because I personally have a lot, great deal of sympathy and interest in companies like Wildfire 5G. We've got you know, other hopefuls on this side of the pond and all over the world that really would like to build uh, city Wi-Fi networks independently and either... You know, with any number of business models, including uh, possibly offload and so forth. I mean, what do you think the, uh, is there an opportunity there? And when, you know, I specifically perhaps refer to here, uh, some of the big internet companies maybe being able to hook up with, uh, with if they're large enough, uh, Wi-Fi companies like that, in order to deliver more content at a lower cost, and then maybe a rev share model. I mean, this is what I'm hinting at. Do you see any future in that? Or, or is that gonna happen, do you think? We've been working with um, smart cities or connected cities all over the world. And uh, it's a fascinated area, fascinating area. And one of the most interesting aspects of it is, as you point out, is what's the business model for it? And there are quite a few different business models that we've seen that apply to uh, the smart city approach. Um, and you know, some of them are as simple as the city will pay to deploy a network. We've seen that. Typically, it's paid for out of the tax rolls. We've seen deployments where the city funds the network largely by reselling or leasing fiber. Many cities have fiber running all over and they'll lease fiber to businesses to fund a Wi-Fi network. We've seen situations where a company, there may be a large company in a, in a particular metropolitan area, they'll go ahead and fund it on their own. They'll go ahead and put the network in. Sometimes networks are put in as part of a franchise agreement. You'll often see this sometimes with cable companies in exchange for the right to operate a cable network in that city, they will put a Wi-Fi network in. We've seen that model. Um, one that we're intrigued by is carriers working together with cities to roll out networks. 
And then obviously the, the model William has where it's, it's completely a private network being rolled out to deploy services at a profit. And that's another interesting one. We've been involved in deployments in both the developed world and the emerging markets. And, and the emerging markets ones are, are actually uh, quite fascinating in terms of what's going on there. Uh, but one of the things I think that William touched on that, that we really think is very compelling here is um, using these networks to provide not just public access, but managed services. And that's, I think, going to be a very big opportunity for all those businesses and venues that want Wi-Fi, but they're not radio people. They look for help there. They look for someone to provide that service. Companies like Wildfire would be, I think, excellent choices to solve that problem for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Steve, I want to thank you a whole bunch for coming on the show and sharing this with us. And I want you to be back as well. So, <laughs> so thanks very much. And, and I, I think we're out of time for this show. I just want to mention a couple of things uh, about next week's show, because next week we've got uh, two uh, great uh, speakers on the show. Adrian Tang of NASA JPL is going to be here. He's invented a battery-saving Wi-Fi invention, and I'm really looking forward to asking him why he's not working on Mars rovers and he's working on Wi-Fi. No, it's going to be great. He's going to be here, and we're going to talk to, talk to him about that. That looks really promising. Good friend of mine, David Height of Pravala. He is uh, uh, up in Canada. He's working on mobile Wi-Fi convergence from the device client side. We're going to speak to him about that. He's a great mobile strategist, and uh, we're also going to speak to him a little bit about Wi-Fi in connected cars. So join us uh, next week, same place, same time, uh, right here in RCR Wireless News. Uh, it's been a joy to be here on our first episode and keep coming back. See you soon, everybody. Wi-Fi Now is a production of RCR TV News. To suggest a show topic or to learn more about Wi-Fi Now events, you can reach Klaus Heading at klaus at headingconsulting.com. To find out more about Wi-Fi Now and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.